Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Michael Kruger to the podcast. Dr. Kruger serves as the president and Samuel C. Patterson professor of New Testament and Early Christianity at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Recently, he published his new book, Surviving Religion 101, Letters to a Christian Student on Keeping the Faith in College. Dr. Kruger, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thanks, Jason. Great to be with you again. Yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast today. And uh, we were just reflecting before we started recording about you were really our last outside guest uh, to campus before COVID hit and uh, upended so many of uh, of our plans in spring of of 2020. But uh, praise God, we're coming through it. And it looks like we can see a lot at the end of the the tunnel uh, pretty clearly here. But hey, before we get into the conversation today, and we'll be talking about equipping our students, equipping our youth to defend their faith, and obviously building the conversation out from your recent book. Uh, Give us a word of update on you and your family and uh, your ministry there at RTS Charlotte. Well, thanks, Jason. Yeah, I remember the same thing you said about me being maybe your last uh, outside guest there, because it was the last trip I took that I remember by airplane before everything sort of melted down. Um, And so it's funny now talking almost a a year later, a little more than a year later. But it's been a good year for us, even despite the the crazy world out there. God's blessed the seminary here at RTS, and we've had um, actually a, a year of record enrollment, believe it or not, at RTS Charlotte, the highest ever, which has been an amazing thing to watch. Um, mm, praise and God. And just personally, yeah, uh, we've been in, in face-to-face residential uh, classes the whole time, uh, just obviously wearing masks and social distancing. But in uh, in the family's doing well. My my wife and kids are, are are healthy, and we've gotten through the bulk of it here. And and like you said, hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel. So tell us about uh, obviously this book just came out. What's before you by way of writing projects? Well, this is the the book we're about ready to discuss is the first lay level book I've ever done, and so I was really excited to do that. Um, and now I'm getting back to some more academic projects. So I'm doing some work right now on early Christian manuscripts, particularly miniature codices in, in, in the early Christian centuries, which are tiny, what you might consider pocket Bibles, and just understanding their form and function in the early church. And that's been fun to get back into some of the deeper academic weeds. So that's one of the projects on, a, on my plate right now. Good for you. Well, we look forward to receiving that out and appreciate um, just your work and uh, not just your lectureships here on campus last year, but your broader writing ministry. And of course, you and uh, so many others at RTS are good friends um, here in Kansas City with uh, the faculty and, and administration here. And so we rejoice uh, in you guys. We root for you and um, delighted to today talk about um, equipping our students, our, our young people, we might say, uh, to defend their faith. So you've already alluded to the fact this book is your first popular or lay-level written book. And uh, so I'm curious, what what prompted the book? Yeah, so this is one of those books that has been in my mind for a long, long time. Um, And I had been planning to write it, hoping to write it, and never really got to it with all the other projects I've had. Um, And then the sort of trigger point was my oldest daughter, um, Emma, who got accepted to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, where I had been nearly 30 years ago. She got accepted to college, and I thought, okay, I'm way behind here, but this book needs to be written, and I need to go ahead and write it. So I did. And and, you know, as the title suggests, this book is really about helping uh, Christian college students survive life uh, at a secular university. And, and it really began with my own story 30 years ago, 
uh, when I started at UNC Chapel Hill, really more than 30 years ago now, um, and as an undergraduate student. And I found myself in a religion class with a very convincing and persuasive non-Christian professor who was intent on attacking the Bible at every turn. And of course, for those who read the book, and they might already know that professor's name was Bart Ehrman. And so I had a very sort of rough experience as an undergraduate uh, with a situation like that. And so ever since then, I wanted to write this book, and I'm just thrilled to, to finally have had a chance to do it. Yeah, in other settings, we reflected on your, your encounter there in the classroom with Professor Ehrman. And uh, I, similarly, I wasn't on a secular campus officially, but my campus was thoroughly secular. I went to college at a, a Catholic institution, a Jesuit institution. It was so naive. I became a believer my freshman year in college. So I'd been reared in church, and, and I kind of had this, you know, appreciation for the Bible, appreciation for the things of the Lord, and really a belief in the Bible. But I'd never personally come to a place in my life where the Spirit had convicted and I had expressed repentance and faith in Christ. That happened my freshman year in college, and I am in philosophy classes, uh, religion classes that were required, and uh, and just blown away by by the dismissal, the casual dismissal, at times the militant dismissal of so many central tenets of the faith. I remember like yesterday uh, with the priest, you know, just just absolutely rejecting, you know, Genesis one through eleven, and not just rejecting Genesis one through eleven as historically accurate, but but absolutely mocking those in the class who thought it was who, who thought those chapters were historically accurate, and you know the flood, creation, fall, all of it just mythological, and uh, not knowing what to do with it at all. And uh, looking back now, I, I see on the one hand God's kind providence of protection and guiding me to resources and friends and ministries. But at the same time, I look back and say, my goodness, was that not fraught with landmines everywhere I was going in college, from class to class, from professor to professor. And so I'm thankful for the book and thankful for your interest in writing it. Now, now the book is uh, occasion, as you alluded to. Um, your, your children are, uh, I guess, in college now or about to be a freshman in college or, or remind us where they are. Well, the, the the letter was occasioned by my oldest going off to UNC Chapel Hill. In fact, um, and I don't think I mentioned this earlier, I've actually written the book uh, as letters to her. So each chapter is a letter to my daughter currently in college, helping her navigate uh, the complex issues that I know she'll face. But then I've got two more that are in the pipeline. Uh, I've got a son in high school um, getting ready to be a rising senior, and then I've got a daughter uh, who's getting ready to be a rising freshman in high school. So they'll be in college before too long. And um, so we'll be doing this all again, I'm sure. Um, but the, the letter was written for Emma, but it's really written for all of them, and, and honestly just written for anybody who has doubts about their faith and wants reassurance in, in, in the things they believe. Hmm. Well, let's move into the book. So you've talked about the background, what prompted you to write it, both your personal experience and uh, children going off to college and, um, and, and on their way to college here shortly. I, I'm curious, what do you hope to accomplish with a book? What are you, what are you hoping that uh, this book will produce or protect uh, in students going off to college? Well, I think one of the things I've realized is that most students, when they head off to college, just don't have a framework for how to think about the issues I discuss in the book. It's not that they didn't grow up in a Christian home. They did, uh, most of them. Um, they may be very committed to Christ when they go to college, and, and when I headed off to college, I was, but they don't really have the, the categories and the tools and the framework. And so part of the goal of the book is just to give people the basics. So I don't think reading this book is going to make somebody be able to go toe-to-toe with their professor intellectually or it's not going to answer every possible objection or and solve every problem. But if I can get sort of some basics down that help people frame things, I think it's just going to really hopefully encourage their faith uh, and keep it from, from completely crumbling. And, you know, as one example of what I'm talking about, 
one of the things I talk about is just, you know, expectations about having answers to all the questions you get. I talk in the book about how, of course, you don't have answers to all the questions you're going to get. You know, why, why are you so shocked and rattled when you get asked a question that you don't have an answer to? I mean, in one sense, give yourself a break. You can't know the answer to every question. And then secondly, just because you don't have an answer doesn't mean there's not an answer. And it doesn't mean that question cannot be answered. So just some basic structural reminders like that, I think, are a key part of the book. And so I will have counted a success if just a, a singular uh, believer out there just makes it through college with faith intact, not having, of course, been able to answer everything, but at least knowing that there's answers out there and are eager to, to find out what they are. Well, and I like how you frame that both conversationally here and in the book, because uh, you know, if you're 18, 19, 20, and you're fresh out of high school, it is, it, you are, you're not just pre-inclined, but perhaps uh, altogether predisposed to be intimidated by the professor. I mean, they're 20, 30 years older, they have a PhD, they have been sharpening their arguments for years, and, uh, and so it's easy to be blown away and, and, and conclude that because you don't have an answer on the tip of your tongue, that there are no answers. But how you process that dynamic as a person, as a student, and uh, if those questions prompt you to find those answers and to, uh, to investigate those answers and to embrace those answers and then to articulate those answers, that's what we hope uh, this, sort of, this sort of classroom dynamic will produce. And uh, I like how you frame that in the book and, and even here conversationally. You know, when you think about even picking a Christian college or a college, and, and look, there are a lot of colleges to choose some. Some are Christian, some are not. Some portray themselves as being Christian, but, but really not on the ground in any meaningful way. Um, what would you say to, to pastors, and here I'm going to deviate just a touch from, uh, from, from, from the book proper. What would you say to pastors who have students in their church and families in the church, parents in their church, who are trying to pick a Christian college? And... Um, what would you say about that decision-making process? A, should they pick a Christian college as opposed to a secular college? And if the answer is, is yes, well, then how do you discern if a college is Christian? If the answer is no, if it's more mixed, that maybe they can go to a secular college and make sure you're prepared for it, you're equipped for it. Um, help us sort out those issues. Well, you know, one of the things I, I intended to do when I wrote this book is to have it not just something that college students would read, although certainly they'll be the primary audience, but also what I hope parents will read thinking about the kind of things their students might face as they go off to college. And that, that should inform decisions about which college to send their kids to. And, and look, parents are going to make different cho- choices here. Some parents are going to be comfortable sending their kids to secular universities. Some are going to want to send their kids to a, a Christian university. Um, the good news, at least on the secular front, is that sometimes the positive there is at least you know what you're getting. And there's a sense in which you can prepare mentally and intellectually knowing what's coming your way. On the Christian side, uh, one danger, of course, there is if someone sends their kids to a Christian school, they may not realize that they may be Christian in name only. And this is becoming more of a problem today than we may realize. Some schools have a Christian heritage and are still thought of as Christian schools, but when you actually get there, they don't hold to the same truths you might think they hold to. The only concern there is sometimes the guard is let down and people may think, I can just trust everything I hear. And so my, my advice to parents is, whichever school you send your child to, this book is still going to be really important in books like it because you want your child to have their, their, their sort of radar up regardless of their context. They're always looking to uphold truth and sift what they hear, regardless whether they hear it from a secular school or a Christian school, just to make sure it matches with God's word. And so I think that cautions in order no matter where the kids go. And what would you say the role of the local church is, um, not just as far as students being involved in the local church while they're at, at university, 
but how much parents should be intentionally mindful of what church or churches are in proximity to the institution that our son or daughter may actually be able to be involved in? Yeah, this is really critical. Um, you know, one of the points I make in the book, and this is no surprise, that a really key part of a, of a student's ability to navigate college is whether they're in a good fellowship with other believers. That's going to be almost the, the deciding factor in terms of whether they get through with their faith intact. And that can be a local church, it could be a campus ministry. And honestly, I've seen parents and students choose a university based on that as a consideration. That's not the only consideration, but if they're teetering between two different schools and they like both of them, sometimes you might think, well, this school we know has a really good church in town or has a really good campus ministry, or I know that my student, my child can get involved and plugged in. I think those are really valid concerns. And so the thought for parents is don't just research the college, research the, the churches associated with the college nearby and campus ministries to try to figure out whether it has the kind of resources that are going to give your child a chance to make it through with faith intact. Now, more broadly, when you think about the local church, the pastor, the ministers, uh, even those listening to this podcast, and uh, you think about the role of apologetics. And, uh, you know, most pastors have at least you know, some ability, some familiarity with the Word of God, and some ability to uh, answer some of the, the common questions that are often posed for believers and why we believe what we believe. Um, and then, you know, some parents have some familiarity as well, but typically less than, uh, than the, the average minister. I guess, help us to understand in general how much pastors should be intentional as you think about all they have going on, sermon preparation, pastoral visits, et cetera. How intentional should they be to uh, actually cultivate their own uh, understanding of these issues that get raised in university settings and their ability to provide answers? And then, and then secondly, how much would you suggest parents should similarly be, be given to kind of personal investigation, personal study, and personal equipping for such questions? Yeah, this is one of the questions I wrestled with quite a, book, quite a bit as I wrote the book, um, because I think as we look at more and more Christians going off to college unprepared for the barrage of challenges they're going to face, the question we're asking is, well, why are they unprepared? What, what's not happening at the local church level to get them prepared? Why, why, is, that, why is that gap there? And I, I, I don't know the answer fully to that. I think we can all say that sometimes, even if you grew up in a Bible-believing church, maybe the training wasn't all that it, it could have been. And maybe some churches are more intent on certain things rather than others. Um, but I really think apologetics needs to take a central role in any minister's uh, repertoire of what he does. In other words, if you think of a minister as having sort of a, a theological toolbox that he uses to fix things and address things in his congregation, apologetics needs to be a big tool in the toolbox because People need reassurance that what they believe is true. And one of the things I've learned over the years is I think pastors probably mistakenly assume that their congregations are more with them than they realize. In other words, they sit there on a Sunday morning, they preach a sermon, and they assume in their mind, everyone agrees with what I've said, everything, everyone sort of affirms what I've said, and everyone sort of is convinced by what I've said for the most part. And I think they'd be probably scared to know that actually that's not true. There's lots of people in, in even good churches that leave a sermon and go, I don't know what I think about that, or I'm not sure I believe that, or I think, you know, there's other, there's other objections to that. And so there needs to be an apologetic edge, if you will, to every ministry. So you're always persuading. You're always trying to make the case for, for Christ at everything you do. And I think if we do that better at the local church level, we'd probably find less students going off to college and losing their way. No, I, lo I love how you phrase that. And boy, that is so true. You know, there's no substitute for intentionality in these matters. 
I'm curious on the flip side, what are some common mistakes that uh, you see local churches, pastors, ministers make as it relates to equipping or not equipping um, their students for such challenges? Yeah, I think one of one of the biggest things I've seen in terms of a trend, um, and I don't know if I'd call it a mistake, but I would certainly call it a, a, a miss, and that is there are certain strands in evangelicalism we could all see. One of those strands is sort of what I would call the pietistic strand, and, and by that I just mean there's some churches where the number one thing they want to talk about is making sure you live like a Christian. Um, and this is often the kind of thing that dominates youth groups. Youth groups, you know, front to back are often wrapped around, you know, key moral questions about how to date, how to live, how to act, how not to, you know, do things in the culture you shouldn't do. And, and by the way, I want to be clear. I think those are important matters and the churches ought to address those matters about how to live like a Christian. So I'm not suggesting those aren't important. What I am suggesting is that if that's the only thing you talk about in your youth group is how to live like a Christian, how not to do certain things, you're going to send your, your, your students off to college completely un, unequipped for what's going to come their way because the challenge they're going to face is not just moral. It's intellectual. And what they don't realize is it's the intellectual that undergirds the moral. If you're just moral to be moral and you don't have any grounds for it, that's quickly going to fade away in a college situation. And so my advice to youth groups is you've got to prepare these students' minds by pressing them, challenging them, shaping them, working on, on what they think and how they think as much as you work on their morality and their, and their sort of pietism, so to speak. And I, I just think that's a myth in, in many churches and in many youth groups. I hope we can find our way around that so we can get back to giving people a more robust Christian worldview. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And look, most of the words of exhortation of, of caution that I hear parents giving their children off to college, they are moral, not, not intellectual. You know, guard your heart, guard your life, don't drink, don't sleep around, et cetera. And look, please hear me. I affirm those, those words of caution, and uh, I share them, and I received those when I went off to college from my parents. Um, but, but if we aren't also positioning them and preparing them for the intellectual challenges, uh, the worldview challenges, um, you know, like you're saying, if this is just a a, a, a set of moral concerns that we express without the framework for why those matter and why we want to honor God in our bodies and our lives and our choices. Um, very often we see those moral reservations dissipate. And uh, you go as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, relatively morally upright 18-year-old, graduate four years later, uh, not so bright-eyed, not so bushy-tailed, and not so morally upright. And uh, we don't want that, but we want something more than that. We want people to actually grow in their faith uh, throughout college and even as they navigate the challenges accompanied with it. So let me give you the final question here to pull this together. Mike, what would be your, I guess, your final word of advice for pastors, especially ministers, local church servants who are sending college students to universities? Yeah. So if you've got students already out the door, I mean, I think you're going to want to make sure that you have an opportunity to sit down with them before they go as a group even, and just give them some broad parameters for what to think about what's coming their way. In other words, don't send them out the door just assuming, well, all is good. You know, they were with us for the last 20 years, and so they must understand everything they need to understand. No, take the chance to have some sort of final moment with them where you talk about what to expect in college. And so, you know, when it comes to graduates from high school, you know, it's not just perhaps, you know, that final um, celebration of, of, of getting out of high school that needs to be on the pastor's mind, but also, okay, what sort of last sort of instructions can I give to help these folks uh, navigate? their college experience. And then, and then the other piece of advice I would say is start recalibrating your, the way your church prepares students. In other words, think, okay, what, do I, what am I going to do with all the 10-year-olds in my church that in eight years 
will be heading off to college. What is that eight years going to look like? Are we doing anything in those eight years to really prepare them intellectually? And if not, how can we make some changes to fix that? And so I, I just think pastors need to be very intentional about making sure that that gap is filled uh, in their local congregations. Dr. Kruger, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. It's been a light to visit. And uh, again, I want to commend your book, Surviving Religion 101, Letters to a Christian Student on Keeping the Faith in College. It's out with Crossway Publishers and uh, available most anywhere books are sold. Thank you, Jason. So good to be with you again. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.